Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Pull out your Bibles, pull out your phones, flip to your Bible app, pull out your notebooks, get ready to take some notes. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This year, for our guest, I've been speaking through the book of Proverbs in a sermon series we've entitled The Way of Wisdom. Today, you're welcome just to listen in as we talk to our students, faculty, and staff as we continue through this series. We're walking through a series. So I did not choose today's topic based on the fact that we have you here. We're talking about laziness. And so that take no offense to the fact that that just happens to be the subject that we're talking about for today. Uh, Yet we also know that God is sovereign and he has all of us here for a reason to hear a word from the Lord, including myself. So let me provide this caveat as you're turning to Proverbs chapter six, verses six through 11. I doubt anyone in this room truly fits the definition of a sluggard. That's what our text, that's the word our text is gonna use today. I mean, after all, to our students, you were smart enough to get into Cedarville and come to Cedarville. So that probably means you're not a sluggard right there. And to the rest of you, you're at least visiting, right? Whether you decide to come or not, I'm just kidding. So probably none of us fit that definition of a sluggard. I'm also not talking about those who take a needed break for balance in life, those who choose to take a vacation to spend some time with family. It's not what we're talking about today. Or those that have medical conditions, things that are wrong that prevent energy, sleep, or productivity. Yet even though saying all those caveats, I know in my own life, and I consider myself to be a hard worker, in my own life, when I truly examine my life and how I live it, I can see lazy tendencies creep in from time to time. I suspect we all see this. So today, this can be a good reminder for us as we look at those lazy tendencies that creep in. Our sinful nature, my sinful nature, often pulls me to be lazy at the things I don't like to do. Can you resonate with that? If I don't like it, I wanna put it off. Or the things I don't do well, it's hard for me. I don't do them as well, I wanna put them off. Or things I just don't wanna do because I'm selfish and I like to do the things I wanna do, not the things I don't like to do. And I see laziness creep into my own life. So while you may not be a complete sluggard, you may have lazy tendencies just like I do. It could be taking care of your physical health, your spiritual disciplines of reading your Bible, praying, seeking God, mental disciplines for our context, your study habits for that class that you really don't want to take, but you have to take for your degree program. Or it could be other things, finances, short-term, long-term finances, how you deal with cleaning your room, any number of different things. But in actuality, what I found is the things that are more difficult for me, I have to be more disciplined in those things and I need to do them earlier in the morning so that I get them out of the way before time creeps by and I can't make up for it and it's too late to recover. So here's the underlying issue behind laziness or being a sluggard. We must fight against laziness for this reason. It's short-sighted self-centeredness. Laziness is truly at its root core, short-sighted self-centeredness because there is accountability coming as you well know in your classes with midterms and finals. But it's short-sighted and it's self-centered. I wanna do what I wanna do when I wanna do it. Two of our core disciplines here at Cedarville, love God and love others, are not accomplished through laziness. To love God, we have to recognize he's given us gifts. We steward those gifts well. He's given us time. 
He's given us life. We steward that time well. As we steward those gifts and that time well, we love God well. We glorify him when we do all of these tasks. So you glorify God when you study well, when you do well on a test, when you work well, when you perform diligent effort. That is a form of worship and stewarding things well that God's given you. Love God by doing that. You also love others when you use the gifts God has given you to help in human flourishing, to help your neighbor. When you make things that are good products that others need and services that they want, this is the way we serve others and love others well. So for us to be lazy is short-sighted self-centeredness. For us to be diligent is a way to love God and love others through the gifts that he has given us that promote human flourishing. So let's start off with a little bit of a comical way to look at this. I, I put this out on social media. I, I like to get ideas through social media. It helps me think of some things I might not have thought of. It gets you involved. You kind of see what's coming ahead. And so I wanted to narrow it down to a top five. I just couldn't. So I have a top 10. A top 10, you might be lazy if. See if any of these apply. You might be lazy if you think kicking the ice cube under the refrigerator is a better idea than picking it up. Uh-huh. I see a few guilty faces out there. You might be lazy if you choose to watch that infomercial on TV because the remote control is on the other side of the room. You might be lazy if you secretly want to ride the motorized carts at Walmart because, let's face it, that store's way too big. You might be lazy if you swing your arm up or down so that your fitness tracker records steps rather than actually getting up and walking. All right, how many of you are guilty of that? I, yeah, are, oh, you're not telling you're guilty of that. You're a bunch of liars. Come on now, how many of you have done that? I know I have, all right. You might be lazy if your idea of exercise is playing We Fit <laughs> while lying down on the couch. You might be lazy if you drive around the parking lot for five minutes to get a parking spot that's 50 feet closer to the store. You might be lazy if you text someone in the next room or right beside you or across the table or upstairs. You might be lazy if you take a fork from Chuck's because walking across the street to buy one takes too much effort. That one was too close to home, huh? Okay, sorry. You might be lazy if you leave that cardboard roll because replacing the toilet paper takes too much effort. Now, leaving just a few sheets on the end of that before, that's wisdom, that's not laziness. But <laughs> it, if the cardboard roll is there, come on. You, come on now, you're just being lazy. All right. You might be lazy if you post on social media to get your sermon illustrations rather than coming up with them for yourself. <laughs> guilty, all right, guilty. All right, so there's your top 10 today to think about little ways that we are lazy often as we go through life. Proverbs chapter six, verses six through 11. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer 
and gathers her, har her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come up on you like a robber and want like an armed man. Dear Lord, as we look at your text today, I pray that you would be glorified and that we would learn more how we can be diligent to use what you have given us as good stewards. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. The Hebrew word for sluggard occurs actually 14 times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness, but this word occurs nowhere else in the Old Testament. The word sluggard refers to more than just being lazy. It refers to a habitual pattern of laziness, in fact, a sinful slothfulness, but it certainly includes laziness. In Proverbs 15, 19, a sluggard is contrasted with the upright, those that we should seek to emulate. In 21, 25, and 26, it says a sluggard desires and craves all day long. This self-centered greed and this desire to consume is contrasted with the generosity of the righteous who gives and gives and gives. A sluggard is associated in Proverbs 19, 15 with an idle person, person who's sitting there, does nothing, or, or perhaps does nothing productive. Solomon, in this first verse, sends the craving, self-absorbed, short-sighted, self-centered person and says, go to the ant, the human, the highest of all creation. He sends to the ant, the little creatures that we would bounce the basketball on to kill or step on to show our dominance. And Solomon says, consider the little ant and look at the wisdom. Now, this is not Ant-Man, as some of you may have seen on the movie screen. This is not the 1966 Stan Lee creation played by Hank Pym, Scott Lang, and others. There is no mind control helmet. In fact, what we learn when we look at the ant is that we see that nobody tells anybody else what to do. They have a structure, but nobody's in charge. There are thousands of species of ants. They typically live in colonies of one to a few queens, they typically will rise up between 2,000 and 10,000 and last for a series of years until the queen no longer produces the eggs and then they'll disperse queens out to form other colonies in a, uh, an ant planting type scenario. The worker ants that we see are generally a quarter of an inch long. The queens are much larger than that. The queen is buried really deep into the ground, has no way of communicating to what's happening to the worker ants out. No central control, no management, no director, and nobody's telling anybody else what to do. So if the ants were lazy, they would do absolutely nothing. And yet when we see the ants, they're busy. They're always doing things. They work together to tunnel to gather food, to defend the nest, to care for the larvae or baby ants, to patrol the surrounding areas and to do nest maintenance. In fact, in Texas, we had fire ants in our backyard and I would often go out to kill the fire ants with stuff that you could buy at Home Depot or, or that always had side in the end of it. it. It's bad news if it's got side in the end of it, right? Infanticide, genocide, and so spectricide was the one I would always buy. I would put it out on these fire ants and all the fire ants would do is move to another location, but that's another story for another time. And so one day I decided to put boiling water on these ants. I had read a farmer's almanac. You said you boil water, you pour it on the ant holes, it'll kill the ants. So I thought it would at least cause a lot of harm and damage and be destructive. So it sounded like fun to me, right? 
So I boil the water and I take this big pot of boiling water and I dump it up over this fire ant pile that had gotten way too close to the house. And when I dump it over this fire ant pile, I see all of this happening and all of these ants start bringing up the dead ants to the top. It's like a CNN ant world massacre that's taking place there. And they're just bringing all the dead ants up to the top, scurrying in activity. It still didn't kill them, it just made a mess. But I got some revenge anyway. So ants working together in tragedy or in triumph. And if you ever wonder about the power of ants, watch fire ants in the South after it rains. Their mounds just seem to rise and increase. They work together internally motivated, doing what needs to be done without being told, preparing for the future by working hard in harvest, willing to do whatever needs to be done. An ant, I've never heard an ant say, that's not my job. I don't need to do that. So here's our text continues in verse seven. It says, without any chief, officer, or ruler, they do things. So point number one is seeking to serve. The wise seek to serve. Now think about that. The ants, they have no central control. They have no one telling them what to do. And yet they seek to serve and do whatever needs to be done. Have you ever thought, that's not my job? With no one in charge, it's like the locust in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, who have no king, yet they march in order to do whatever needs to be done. This type of work ethic requires a humility that says, I will do whatever is needed, and it requires an attitude of seeking to serve others so that no job is beneath you. You walk by and you notice trash on the ground, so you reach down and you pick the trash up to put it in the trash can. You go into the bathrooms and you notice that the paper towel dispenser has gotten stuck, so you take the time to make sure it's unstuck for the next person after you. The little tasks that you see and you recognize need to be done, but sometimes our mentality is, that's not my job. Whereas what our mentality needs to be when we consider the ants is, why is it not my job? Somebody's got to do it. It might as well be me. Cross-references for this, we could see in Proverbs 12, 11, it says, whoever works with his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 28, 19, again says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. You say, Proverbs mentioned this twice. That's right, so we take note. We put a star by it because it's repetition, and repetition tells us this is important. So those who work will have plenty. Those who follow worthless pursuits will not. So what are the worthless pursuits of life that we are all guilty of from time to time? Too much time spent online. I'm just gonna check my email. We pull out our phone and 30 minutes later, we're still on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram looking at everything. Social media, video games, shopping, binge watching Netflix, too much time trying to find a get-rich-quick scheme to avoid work rather than working hard to get what you've earned. So in my own life, of those weaknesses, the biggest one is probably any time they come out with a new Halo video game. I just grew up playing Halo. So I know in my life I can't buy a new video game during the middle of a semester. That's not wise. Because if I do, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna find time to play it and lose a lot of work time to do other things. So I finished Halo 5 on Christmas break because I bought it and finished it on Christmas break, but that's another story. And so, 
Wisdom to us, though, is this, that you don't need to be buying new video games right before midterms or finals. That's going to affect your GPA and your scholarships and a whole host of other things. You don't start binge watching that show on Netflix when you really need to be studying. We've got to be wise in these things. Life is about balance. It's about choosing when to do things this wise. I recently talked to a business owner. And this business owner had had some people who had been there doing internships. And he was telling me about this, this internship uh, that he had had during the summertime. And he asked two interns, uh, this guy owns like three or four companies. And one of his companies, he asked two interns, would you guys stay and help us do a little bit more this afternoon, this evening? And the two interns told him, they said, no, we already have plans. Sorry, we can't stay and help. Now, this guy told me, he said, these were pretty good workers and I'm looking for some good employees but they wouldn't stay and work because they had already made plans, so they didn't get a job offer at the end of their internship. So can I just call a timeout here as we talk about careers in the future and say to you that if you have an internship, that is an extended job interview, and that companies wanna know, are you gonna work hard? Are you gonna be diligent? Are you willing to put in a little more, a little extra? Now, I don't wanna take this too far. I don't wanna push this beyond what I should, but I do wanna encourage you to seek to serve. If you go into a company, a career, to a vocation, and you seek to serve others, you're going to stand out. If you go through life seeking to serve others, you're going to stand out as a good friend, the type person everybody wants to be around. You're not always taking, you're giving back. This is what we should do as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ. And why? Because he sought to serve us, Philippians 2. He came to this earth and he served us in the way that provided salvation for those who repent and believe in him. Verse number eight and point number two, the wise plan for the future. She, the ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There's a time to gather the bread. There is a time to gather the food. There's a time when it's not appropriate, but the diligent will work when it's the opportune time to do the work so that you can be most effective. They plan for the future by working hard at the right moments. Instead of wasting time, instead of taking a host of breaks, instead of doing all this other stuff, they work when you're supposed to work. And then they can do other things when you're supposed to do other things. We know this principle all too well because we have these things called midterms and finals. And you know from your own experience, if you study all along the way, if you keep up with your reading, if you keep up with your quizzes, if when that paper is due at the end of the semester, if you've studied, if you've gathered your research, if you've prepared, if you've written your paper with enough time left so that you could actually proofread your paper, and if you've proofread your paper and decided those weak to be verbs have got to go, and you've got to get active verbs in there and strong adjectives in those sentences and get rid of all those comma splices, and you turn in that paper after you have done all this, that grade that comes back is a lot more pleasing than if you're writing it the night before or the morning of class. Is that true? We know this principle. We live it every single day. And yet it's often so hard for us to wake up that morning and do the assignment months ahead of time to start preparing that paper, writing that paper. There's another way we can prepare ahead. This Wednesday, there's a job fair. There'll be over 100 companies here on campus. 
We encourage all of you to go, not just seniors. We want freshmen to go as well. Why do we want freshmen to go? So that the first time that you shake their hand and tell them your name and what you're passionate about and you really do a bad job of it because it's your first time ever talking to a company, by the time you get to your senior year, you've done this like eight times. You've got it down. You walk in confident. You know how to dress. You shake the hand firmly. You look at them. You tell them what you're passionate about and the company begins salivating because they want more of you. And next thing you know, you've got the internship, you've got the job, and you're part of that 97.5% that gets employed or in grad school within six months of graduation. So this Wednesday, I look forward to seeing all of you. If you're a prospective student and you're here on Wednesday, you can still go to the job fair, right? I look forward to seeing all of you over at the job fair as we do that. We plan ahead. All right, and chapel announcement, back on track. All right, Proverbs 22:29 says this. Do you see a man skillful? Note the word skillful there. In his work, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That word skillful means talented for something. So when you look around at your degree, it should mesh with your talents. God has given each one of us talents and gifts, and those talents and gifts are what we need to develop, refine, improve, so that we go into fields that we use the talents and gifts that we have been given for his glory so that we love God well and for others so that we promote human flourishing and minister to them well. And so this is what we should do. So a brief theology of work. God works. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I am working. Genesis 1, 1, what did God do? God created, God worked. And not only did God work, but he gave us work. In Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work and to keep it. Now, it's true that through the fall, work became harder. We learn about the thorns and the thistles and the sweat of our brow, but that doesn't mean work is now something to be avoided. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are supposed to work. When you find work that is meaningful, that uses your talents and your gifts and you use them for God's glory, for the benefit of others, it brings satisfaction, it brings joy. When you have an occupation, a vocational calling upon your life that God has called you to do and you're using those gifts in that way, it allows you to have meaning and purpose in life. You wake up desiring to go to work. You love what you're doing. You're engaged in it. You have a life that's fulfilled because you're using that platform to serve others. That's what we're after. Not an occupation that just pays the bills and gains wealth, but for you to enjoy what you're doing. Whether that's computer programming or engineering or teaching or serving as an athletic trainer or through nursing, I can't help but think of the play that we just recently put on. They did a great job. I didn't know how in the world they were gonna do The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but they pulled it off. But I love watching our students as they perform. I look up there and I see Zach and the rest of them, and I watched particularly Renee. I thought did a fabulous job in the performance. Yeah. I take it you agree with that analysis. You see the joy in her face when she's on the stage. And me sitting in the, in the chair knowing that I don't, I don't have those gifts. I had joy in my heart watching our students do what God has called them to do and gifted them to do and do it with excellence. It, it goes across every area. I, 
I see the instrumentalists up here playing, doing things that I could only dream about doing. And when I see them do it with excellence and do it with passion, a smile, sometimes I stop singing and just watch their face as they're using the gifts God has given them. And it encourages me, it nourishes my soul. I go to a basketball game and I see Bailey out there hitting like the 23rd three-pointer in the first quarter. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. And so I love watching you use your gifts and it encourages my soul. And I think sometimes we overlook the fact that when we do what God has created us to do, it brings us joy, but it serves others and it glorifies and it provides worship to him. All right, I better stop. Point number three, the lazy sleep when they should work. Look at verse nine. There's two questions here. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? It's almost as if the harvest is in session and the sluggard is still in the bed asleep. And the question's asked, how long are you gonna lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? How long will you lie there when your eight o'clock class has already started? How long will you continue in your sleep? It's chapel time. Proverbs 13, four says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The sluggard does nothing but crave. He has a whole lot of time to think about all the things he really wishes he had because his mind is not busy with work. It's idle thinking about more things that he needs or she needs. And so the sluggard craves and craves and craves. I want this, I need that, I need this, I want that. But the diligent, you're so busy working, you don't have time to think about the things you don't have. You enjoy the things that you do. And you get pleasure out of the things that you do for the Lord. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and he craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sluggard craves because he has too much time on his hands. The righteous gives because he has more than he needs. Point number four, the lazy make excuses. Verse 10, look at what it says here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Sleep and slumber in this are actually plural. So if we wanted to be literal in our interpretation of it, it might be a few sleeps, a few slumbers, and then perhaps I'll get up. Perhaps this is the answer of the sluggard. How long, how long? Oh, come on, just a few more sleeps, just a few more slumbers, and I'll get up and actually do something. The sluggard is not saying, no, I will never work. The sluggard is saying, not right now. And notice the repetition of the word little. It's a little sleep. It's a little slumber. It's a little folding of the hands. Folding of the hands means actually crossing the arms across the chest as if you're going to sleep. When you cross your arms across your chest, you can't get any work done right th like this, right? Your hands are not out to do things. They're crossed. You've said to the, to the world, no, I don't want to do anything. I'm going to defend my own territory here and do nothing. But it's little by little by little. So one excuse after another, inch by inch, minute by minute, opportunity evades and slips away. There are many life lessons to learn here. When you study diligently, you do better. When you research well, you do better. When you practice your instruments, it's a lot better when it comes time to perform. Proverbs shows us other excuses. It's not just a little more sleep, a little more slumber. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I can't go to work, it's dangerous out there. 
People have weapons and cars. There are wrecks, planes crash. I'm staying in my bed. I'm safe here. Don't use that excuse, by the way. That's bad. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And as the door turns on its hinges, oh, doesn't that convict sometimes? I'm gonna sleep on this side. Oh, I've been asleep so long it's uncomfortable. So I'm gonna sleep on this side. Oh, I've been asleep it's uncomfortable. As the door turns on the hinges, the sluggard is in his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Laziness always has an excuse. I was too busy. I was doing ministry. That's the Christian form of excuse for laziness, right? I was doing ministry. That's why I couldn't get my homework done. My friend needed to talk. I had to be there for them. I didn't feel like it. I needed a break. There's a lion in the streets. My dog ate my homework. Cedar Shark was going to jump over the bridge and grab me. I had to stay in my dorm room. Whatever. They're all excuses. We know it deep in our heart. Laziness doesn't finish what it starts. There are other verses in Proverbs says sticks his hand in the dish and doesn't even bring it back to his mouth. Laziness says, I'm going to do something. Good intentions, poor follow through. Are you a dependable person? You should be. As Christians, we should be dependable and follow through on our promises. It is our word. It is our testimony. Laziness is prideful or haughty. The lazy person, it says here, is wiser in his own eyes. He thinks too highly of himself, which makes this incredibly difficult to overcome because the lazy person actually believes his own excuses. People do die in car wrecks. It's raining outside. Those skateboards go really fast. It's dangerous. I have to stay in my room. You believe your own excuses. And because you believe your own excuses, nobody can tell you you need to get up and go do work, but you don't understand. And so here, those wise in their own eyes haven't encountered a true work ethic. They don't realize how lazy they are, and until they realize how they're being lazy, you can't solve the problem. Point number five, verse 11. The lazy are not prepared. You believe your own excuses, you're lazy, you're doing nothing. And what happens, verse 11, and poverty will come up on you like a robber, come up on you by surprise. You don't see it coming. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the pickpocket, the person startles you as the robber. And want, destitution, not just being poor, but not even having food and want will come upon you like an armed man, an armed man coming upon the sluggard, still in his bed, rotating like the door on the hinges, And there he is defenseless or she is defenseless and the armed man comes upon them. Let's drive by the home of this sluggard. Let's see what it looks like. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 through 34 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Lacking sense is the sluggard. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The field of the vineyard is of no use. It has been overgrown. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Didn't take care of what needed to be done. So then I saw and I considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a few sleeps, a little slumber, a few slumbers, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Do you take care of the details of your assignment? 
at work, at home, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, as a follower of Christ? Or do you have lazy tendencies that have crept into your life? We must recognize laziness for what it is. Short-sighted, self-centered behavior. Selfishness. We must strive in our daily life through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, pursuing Christ-likeness to demonstrate love for God and love for others. Stewardship is the key. You've been given time. You've been given talents. You've been given gifts. Steward them well. Use them well so that you can serve and influence those who are around you. And for our audience in particular today, when it comes time to consider a spouse, should that be your desire? Take note of the work ethic because the work ethic of one will affect both for the rest of your lives. Laziness for a Christian is not an option, but don't misunderstand this. Laziness will make you poor, but we should not assume that all of the poor are lazy. Situations are often complicated and we don't want to judge unjustly. So we take the principle that laziness will make us poor, but we don't assume that everybody that's poor falls into that category. Often other things are happening. Entitlement is not an option for us. The idea of thinking I deserve something I didn't work for are the pillars that undergird the platforms of laziness. When we think people owe us something that we haven't earned, or when we seek to obtain things that we haven't worked for, you are building ruts in your life that are going to be hard to break out of. You are building pillars in your life to lay a platform of laziness that does not glorify God, does not serve others, but simply seeks to focus on self. We never say with prideful arrogance, that's not my job. We seek to serve. We work as unto the Lord, not cutting corners, not doing sloppy work, because that doesn't represent our creator who displayed excellence in his creation. We have excellence when we work so that we have a platform to love God and love others well. We take great joy in worshiping God well through the time, the talents, and the gifts that he's given us. And by doing this, we can excel for his glory. And that's our calling and our purpose. So we don't kick the ice cube under the refrigerator. We replace the roll. We look around and see what needs to happen and pick up the trash and fix the toilet paper dispenser, the towel dispenser. We look at those around us that need encouragement. And instead of saying that's somebody else's job, we offer an encouraging word. We say a word of prayer. We talk to them. We listen to their story. We love them well. We love God well. Laziness, short-sighted, self-centeredness. Let us be men and women that love God and love others with our time, our talents, and our gifts. Dear Lord, we know that in our lives we have tendencies to do things that are not in our own best interest and do not serve you well. So Lord, help us to recognize those. Help us to ask you for help and through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the things we're tempted to do that we shouldn't. May we run from those things, Lord. Lord, help us not to waste our lives. You have given every person in this room time to serve you on this earth, abilities, talents, and gifts. Lord, help us to use them well.
Help us to take joy in serving you and serving others so that Jesus may be glorified and exalted. In his name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.